Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be with you. I bring you greetings from North Carolina. Um, my dad said I'm a, a ruling elder in a Presbyterian church there. I am the black sheep of the family and jumped the fence over to uh, conservative Presbyterianism, but I have a deep love uh, for Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, I want to tell you before I get started that when my parents visit, we don't get nearly enough time with them, but when, when we're with my parents, their mouths cannot contain the words about you all. It is the predominant topic of conversation. They love you tremendously. You've been a blessing to them, and I thank you for that. I think they've been a blessing to you. Uh, but they, the affection, the care, the concern, the love, and the joy that they have in this church body is, is real. I think you know that. I hope you do. Um, but I just wanted to, to share that for you. If you spend any time with my dad uh, for any significant period of time, you've probably heard a message something like what I'm going to give you today, calling you to behold your God in Isaiah 40. You can go ahead and turn to Isaiah 40. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of background before we jump into the text. If you're not real familiar with your Bible, Isaiah is a little bit after the center of your Bible. If you open the center, you're probably going to get to Psalms. Go some pages to the right and you'll stumble across Isaiah. Before we get to the primary passage, I want to provide a little bit of backdrop for the context of the sermon. Isaiah, if you're not familiar, was a prophet in Israel leading up to and during the conquest of Israel and Judah by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. He was called by God to give a message of final warning to the Israelites who had been uh, rejecting their covenant obligations to God. They had fallen into severe idolatry for decades and hundreds of years of time. They had fallen into abuse and oppression of the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourners in their land. They had rejected what God had called them to when he gave them the land of Israel. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, he has an undoing vision of God the Father in the throne room of heaven. It says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was filling the temple, and seraphim flew about him. With two wings they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called out one to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And upon seeing this vision, Isaiah becomes undone. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. And this seraphim, this angel that exists to worship God in his throne room, goes and pulls from a fire a coal, and he presses it to Isaiah's lips, purifying his lips. And right after that, Isaiah says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And I chuckle at this point because I think it's about 10 seconds later that he really regrets that. Because here's what the Lord says. 
And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth of it, a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains and then it is felled, the holy seed and its stump. It's a message of warning. It's a message of doom if Israel doesn't turn. And they didn't turn. And so God exiled them. Foreign countries came into the land and conquered Israel and Judah and took them captive and prisoners and, and took them into far lands. It's into this desolation that the Lord speaks in Isaiah 40 and delivers a message of hope after destruction for his people. And it's a part of that message of hope that we're going to spend time in this morning. In short, the takeaway this morning is this. God never grows tired of being God or of doing good for his people. God never grows tired of being God or of doing good for his people. Let's read Isaiah 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people or grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with his might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows, his, uh, shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? 
who taught him the paths of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are his be- its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that would, would not rot and seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see who created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might? And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to behold you. That you would speak comfort to us. That you would tenderly show us the way. That you would carry us in your bosom, that the greatness of who you are would set our hearts at ease, that we would find our only comfort in life and death in you, in the work of your Son, and his goodness to us on the cross. Be with us this morning. Let us love you more when we leave than we do now. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. In 2009, a band called Monsters of Folk wrote a song called Dear God. And it goes like this. Dear God, I'm trying hard to reach you. Dear God, I see your face in all I do. Sometimes it's so hard to believe in. Good God, I know you have your reasons. Dear God, I see you moving the mountains. Dear God, I see you moving trees. Sometimes it's nothing to believe in. Sometimes it's everything I see. Well, I've been thinking it out, and I've been breaking it down without an answer. I know I'm thinking aloud, but if your love's still around, why do we suffer? 
Why do we suffer? Dear God, I wish that I could touch you. How strange. Sometimes I feel I almost do, and then I'm back behind the glass again. Oh God, what keeps you out? It keeps me in. Well, I've been thinking it out, and I've been breaking it down without an answer. I know I'm thinking aloud, but if your love's still around, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? It's that problem of suffering. It's that angst of wonder and worry that we find the Israelites in here as this passage of comfort comes to them. The prophecy from Isaiah 6 has come true. They've been exiled. They've been ripped away from their homes. They're in a foreign land. They're separated from God and from the temple. And what that means for the Israelites is they have no way of properly worshiping God. The sacrificial system cannot be completed anywhere but in the temple. And so they are left without the means of worship, without the means of atonement, without the means of sacrifice for their sins. They're in a far country. They're set away from their homes. They're set away from the promised land. God had given them the nation, the land of Israel, and said that they would be there forever if they kept their covenant. He said that there would always be a king in David's David's line on the throne. They're experiencing doubt in the faithfulness of God's promises and his covenant. And don't we often feel the same as we encounter struggles in our lives, as we wonder what's coming next, as we suffer, we doubt. And what's wonderful about this passage is that God knew that they were going to doubt. God provided this prophecy of hope for them before they reached the place of despair. They had this available to them when they reached that point of wondering what was going on. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? The Lord knew that they would ask that question. And he gives them the reminder ahead of time. Matthew Henry, in his commentary about this passage, says, Before God sent his people into captivity, he furnished them with precious promises for their support and comfort in their trouble. God knows that we will worry. God knows that we will wonder. God knows that we will sometimes doubt his faithfulness and his goodness to us. And he has provided passages like this for us to gird us up in times of trouble. This is not a rebuke. This whole passage is about comfort. God is reminding them. And what he says in in saying, why do you say, O Jacob, why do you say, O Israel? And have you not known, have you not heard? He is calling them back, back from doubt, back from despondency, back from discouragement. He's calling them to move away from those understandable and predicted feelings of uncertainty, and he's calling them to grasp a hold of what they know to be true. Have you not known? Have you not heard? He's saying, take hold, hold fast, don't let go, and be comforted.
by who I am. What does he tell them to remember? He tells them four things. The first, the Lord is an everlasting God. He's everlasting. He lasts forever. God is not just on a timeline that extends back into infinity and then onward into eternity. God is, the eternality of God is different than that. God doesn't experience time. He's outside of time. When we were kids, um, my parents had in the hallway a good eight foot long timeline that had a number of different, like the continents and countries of the world listed across it. And you could at a glance look over the whole of human history and see the kind of line up what was going on at the same time. We live on a very specific place in that timeline. God stands outside of that timeline and looks at the whole of it seeing all of it with equal clarity, with equal precision, and with equal knowledge. God is currently active in the past. He is currently active in the future, and he is currently active now. One commentator said, well, let me hold on that for just a minute. Now, even that illustration, that analogy falls short, right? Because when we look at that whole timeline, we can really only digest a very small portion of it. God is intimately in all of it at all times. He is the everlasting God. So why is this comforting to us? It means that our way can't be hidden from God. It can't be hidden from God. As the Israelites ask the question, why is my way hidden from God? The answer is it's not. God sees, God knows, He's eternal and he's unchanging. See, God is not affected by time. One commentator said it this way, if it is true that God does not change, then we must say that time does not change God. It has no effect on his being, perfections, purposes, or promises. But that means that time has no effect on God's knowledge, for instance. God never learns anything new or forgets things, for that would mean a change in his perfect knowledge. This implies also that the passing of time does not add or detract from God's knowledge. He knows all things, past, present, and future, and knows them all equally vividly. So why is this a comfort to us? It means that he is always strong to save. He is always equally concerned. He is always equally able. He is always equally good. He is always equally loving. God does not wind down. He does not diminish. He does not grow old. He is not subject to time and its effects. He's not burdened by age. He doesn't wrinkle and shrink. No. He is the everlasting God. The same in the end as he was in the beginning. What does Isaiah remind us of next? He's the creator of the ends of the earth. If we go back to verses 21 and 22, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God actively created in the past. 
and he actively sustains in the present. He's not just the watchmaker who set it all in motion and let it go. He's still bringing out the stars. He is still calling them by name. He is still holding them together. He is still ensuring that not one is missing. He is present in his creation. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. All of it, the universe holds together only by God's great power. How is this comforting? How is it comforting that God created the ends of the earth and that he sustains it? God cares. He didn't leave it to do its own thing. He stayed involved. He's not watching and waiting. He's not distracted by other more important matters. He's integrally and personally involved in his creation. He's taking joy in the ones that he loves. He's the creator and the giver of life. He's the sustainer of the earth and with special care for the people he loves. It also means that he's powerful. If God has the power to spread out the heavens like a curtain and to name the stars and to keep them from going missing, he has the power to tend and to care for us. He has the attention to detail. He has the love and he has the strength to back it up. How good is it to rest on that kind of power? Next, he does not faint or grow weary. Do you ever grow tired of being you? You ever feel like it would be nice to have a break from your life for a while? You think of young moms as they're dealing with infants and toddlers, and it's just the same thing all day, every day. We think of men in the workplace, the drudgery, the toil. Think of single moms working, dropping kids off at childcare, picking them up, preparing dinner. It's exhausting. Life is tiring. And often we get tired of dealing with our lives. And then when you get suffering on top of it, it's even more. But I want you to hear, God does not faint or grow weary. He does not grow tired of being God. And let's look a little bit about God's job description just in this one passage. In Isaiah 40, we see him, we see him pardoning and punishing sin. We see him making all things equal before him. We see him making his glory known to the all people and speaking his word. We see him giving life and taking it away. We see him speaking everlasting truth. We see him ruling in might. We see him tending and caring for his sheep while gently leading them. We see him considering all the details of creation to the very specks of sand. We see him knowing all things. We see him defining what justice is. He exists in complete independence of creation and the nations. He brings the nations into subjection under him. We see him being too great to adequately worship. We see him exceeding all other gods. We see him sitting enthroned above all heavens, above all creation. We see him humbling the rulers of the earth. We see him being entirely incomparable. We see him being the creator and the sustainer knowing the numbers and names of the stars and the planets, keeping them from scattering. We see him being tireless. We see him giving strength to the weak. And that's one chapter. It's one chapter. 
Why is it comforting that God never grows tired? Because it means that in spite of that heavy load that we just read about, not to say the rest of Scripture and what it talks about, when we look at that heavy load, God's broad shoulders are strong and steadfast. He will not be bowed down under the weight of a fallen creation. He will not be bowed down under your financial troubles. He will not be bowed down under the weight of your broken marriage. He will not be bowed down by your physical infirmities. He will not be bowed down by interpersonal conflicts in the church and in your workplace. He will not be bowed down by cancer. God will not tire. Isaiah wants the Israelites to know and to understand that regardless of how things seem to be playing out, God has not grown tired of doing good for his people. He will keep his covenant. He will be strong when we are weak. He will be sure and steadfast. Friends, we are in that same covenant of grace that God supplied to the Israelites. We have that promise as well. God will not grow tired of being God, and he will continue to do good for his people. And finally, what does Isaiah remind us of again? His understanding is unsearchable. Because God is outside of time. He knows everything that has happened, that will happen, and that is happening. Sometimes we think of this and we, it feels a little bit negative, like God is always watching over our shoulders. It feels a little bit like the Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. But that's not it. Why is it comforting to know that God's understanding is unsearchable? It's comforting because at the end of the day, we really don't understand very much. As we go through life, we find ourselves perplexed, confused, worried, and tired. Again, I think of moms when you first have a child and you encounter a sickness where that kid just won't stop crying and you don't know why. The anxiety and the stress that comes with that is tremendous. God knows why. God cares. The first time you encounter a marriage trouble, or maybe you're 25 years into marriage and it's just been a long, slow drudgery for a long time and you don't understand how to fix it, God understands. God cares. Single moms, when you think back a couple years ago as COVID happened and everything shut down and suddenly there was no daycare, how do you keep working? How do you keep food on the table? How do you care for your kids? We don't understand, but God does. When you hear the word that your founding pastor is taking a leave of absence and you don't know what happens next, God knows, God understands, his understanding is unsearchable. When you get a call from the doctor and you hear that the diagnosis is cancer, and then a couple weeks later you hear the word metastatic, the options are overwhelming and endless. They're perplexing, they're confusing, they're anxiety-driving. God's understanding is unsearchable. He knows what we're feeling. He knows that we doubt and wonder. He doesn't, it doesn't surprise him. He provided these words of comfort because he knew we would doubt. It means nothing's a mistake. It's all under his control. 
I'll bring this in for a landing here by reading something from John Gill in his commentary on this passage. He says this, The God of the world that has made it and upholds it and governs it and righteously and judges righteously in it, who is from everlasting to everlasting, unchangeably the same, whose name alone is Jehovah, the self-existent and all-comprehending being, the maker and former of all things, who has not only created the earth and the foundations of it, both the familiar portions and the unknown extremities, and therefore knows and will take care of his own people, let them be where they will. And though the work of creation and of upholding creatures in their beings and of governing the world and providing for all in it and of taking care of his church and people in particular requires so much power as well as wisdom, yet he never sinks under it nor is weary of it. Wherefore, they have no reason to give way to such unbelief and despondency. There is no searching of his understanding. It is infinite. It reaches to all persons and all things, and therefore he cannot be at a loss to provide for his people or to plead their cause, nor can their case be unknown to him, or he wants either power or skill to help them. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, we thank you that you are strong, that your understanding is unsearchable, that you do not grow tired of being God, that our lives are not too burdensome and too heavy for you, that you are unaffected by time, that your understanding is unsearchable. Lord, there are many, many anxieties in this room today. I pray that you would comfort them through the power of your spirit by calling us to remember how great you are and that that greatness would be like a resting place for us where 
we experience your open arms, your love, your care, your compassion, and your kindness. This is not a surprise to you. You are not out of control. You are with us. You are caring. Comfort us with this, Lord, and be with us for the rest of this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Tim, for reminding us to behold our God. Why? Because he is an everlasting God who stands outside of time. He sees and knows everything there is to know. He is always strong to save. Isn't that so true? He is the creator of the ends of the earth. The universe is held together by God's great power. He does not faint or grow weary. He does not grow tired of being God. God's understanding is unsearchable. This comforts our hearts. Thank you, brother, for these reminders. We appreciate you for serving in this way. I do have a couple of announcements uh, before we pray and close in song. Uh, There is no family meeting, as mentioned earlier. Uh, As we think about caring for our brother Tim, our pastor, um, please pray for Tim. As he mentioned before, he's going to be getting a full body scan on this coming Tuesday to determine the full extent of his cancer. Uh, Thank you, everyone who's been pouring out encouragement through his Facebook posts. Feel free to keep up with those posts if you wish fresh updates from Tim. Although he will not be um, here, he'll be on temporary medical leave. Um, with further updates, you can stay connected to him through Facebook as he is able to post. Uh, it's great to know that Tim is working with uh, some top medical doctors in a medical naturopath. Uh, this is already an answer to prayer. Uh, we're planning a care coordinator role to help streamline uh, as a church as we care for the Shuris in this season. The coordinator role will help with arranging support for things like meals and transportation, etc., as needed. Uh, we will have more information about this in the coming days, uh, so keep this in mind if you desire to help. Amen. Uh, that being said, we are having a corporate time of prayer and fasting for healing and sustaining grace for the Tim and Gaylene on Wednesdays for the entire month of July. So if you can turn down a meal or a plate uh, between your three meals, if you're medically able to, uh, we'd encourage you to join us in fasting and praying for God to uh, give breakthrough results for our brother. Amen. So we are, amen. That's in order. Amen. We believe God. We trust God. So let's do this. Let's pray for Tim and Gaylene even now and just ask the Lord to, to have his way. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you know all things. And that all things work together for the good of those 